and here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there. We are now live on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. As you can hear, I am a little uh, stuffed up dealing with a cold this week. I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Thursday, October the 20th, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time. How are you, Scott? I know you got a plumber coming out. That's usually not good news. Yeah, it's not good news, but um, after 11 today, it'll be fun. Uh, hopefully, they don't destroy our house too much, I'm, you know, because I'm going out of town tomorrow, and I don't want to have to come back to that, you know, kind of the same way. Hopefully not nearly as bad as when the sub pump went down and we had to come back to ruined carpet, but uh, uh, I'm keeping my positive thoughts here on this one. <laughs> That's good. That's a good way to approach it is, yeah. uh, is think because home repairs suck. So yeah, um, we've had them both. That's for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about Ohio State, Iowa at Ohio State this week. A huge point spread in that game. Um, talk a little bit of recruiting. Iowa has gotten some offers out there during the bye week. Uh, offered some kids that were committed to some other schools. Uh, we can kind of flip through that a little bit. And uh, it's women's basketball media day today. It's going on during our podcast, so we Scott and I won't make it out there, but. Um, that's going on today, men's basketball, about less than two weeks from uh, the preseason or exhibition opener against Truman State. Uh, so it's that time of year where the sports collide, but the focus still is on football in the wild, wild west of the Big Ten. Um, I was looking at this, Scott, Minnesota at Penn State this week, Iowa at Ohio State. Odds are those teams are going to have three those teams being Minnesota and Iowa, three Big Ten losses uh, after this weekend. And that uh, really cuts down your margin for error moving forward and puts even more emphasis on that game they play in November. Yeah, it does for for bowl positioning, if nothing else. I, I think it, let's let's look realistically when we talk about Iowa that, frankly, they needed to beat Illinois to have a puncher's chance in the West Division. 
and that didn't happen. And it's because of the schedule. And this is what happens the years that you're going to play. You know, I mean, Michigan is last year and this year is much better than Michigan's been for a while. Ohio State has been Goliath for a long time. But when you're playing both those two teams, it really, you know, shrinks the margin of error. Minnesota, I can see a path to victory in Penn State. I mean, it's not going to be easy. I mean, Penn State got, you know, Michigan ran for 400 yards on them last week. And Minnesota is capable of doing something similar. So I could see that. But but with Iowa, as we know, and we've talked about, there's just nothing that they can lean on offensively to give them that even slightest hope of this game. I've never seen it in covering them all these years. We've always had games where we went, yeah, they're probably not going to win this one or or it's going to be really tough or whatever. But this one is in a different category to where, I really can't even in any scenario see them hanging on and winning. You know, Michigan in 16 was probably the closest and they did win that game, but at least that style and they had two good running backs, you know, that, that could kind of power in and they had a good quarterback too, that could kind of, you know, play, keep away and, and move the ball. And, and Akron was great in that game, but this one, there's just no element to me that says, yeah, if they do this, if they do this, if they do this, then they can win. I just don't see it. Yeah, and I was thinking about this as well, that, you know, you the, the most recent memories of Iowa pulling off big upsets uh, have been at home. You know, the yeah. Michigan game and Ohio State game, 16-17, those were home games. This is a much tougher task. Ohio State is also coming off a bye week, hasn't lost at home since 2015. Uh, to Michigan State, 27 games in a row, Big Ten games in a row at the shoe. It's one, which is, I think I read in the notes is a record for the Big Ten. And if not, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it almost feels helpless or hopeless, I guess is a better word for Iowa this week. And, you know, when Tuesday talking to those guys, I think they have, you know, those guys being the Iowa players, I think they have the right mindset of, you know, embracing the underdog role, uh, but that can only take you so far. And that's just, as you were saying, it's what is the path to victory this week? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and the shame is I, you know, I went through, I wrote about it today, just kind of the the key matchup, the, the fun matchup in a normal world, if you felt like you had a shot would be, uh, Ohio State's very explosive offense, which has more, uh, is averages more points per game than any team in the country and has more plays of 30 plus yards than any team in the country against Iowa's really good defense and style, you know, which is a zone coverage that kind of mitigates and, and prevents those big plays. Um, it's given up the fewest plays of 30 plus yards. It's third, what in the top 10 when it comes to, I think it's third and scoring defense. So, Normally, we would say, okay, this is a, this is really a, a quality matchup here, you know, and it might be tough. But, but the problem is, on the other side of the ball, and, and Ohio State has played really well defensively, you know, unlike in the past years, their new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, has done an outstanding job there. Yeah. But, but is there any aspect you can hang your hat on? You know, like we said with 16, you know, Akram and LaShawn Daniels could really thump. And you had, uh, you know, C.J. Beathard, who was a smart, capable quarterback, who's still in the NFL. In 17, you had two amazing tight ends 
um, who were first rounders. You had a right tackle who was a first rounder. You had a left tackle who's starting in the NFL. And you had those types of players that were really good. Um, I think, uh, oh, and, and James Daniels was a second rounder at, at center. So there's nothing there right now that makes you go, yeah, they can do this. And that's, that sucks. I'm, I'm sorry. It sucks. It sucks for Iowa. It sucks for the fans because you want to at least go into a game. If you're a program like Iowa thinking, you know what, we got a shot if we do this right. And I just, it, it, it would be Kirk Ferentz's greatest victory if he pulled something out here, because this is, this isn't a rabbit out of the hat. This is like a, a woolly mammoth out of the hat. I think it's Max Olson on uh, the athletic who does the, I like the metric, the the defensive metric of yeah. stops. Yeah, and I looked right. at it this morning. I think <laughs> I think he posted it this morning or last night. And I'm like, all right, cool. Iowa's number four in that. And then I look, oh, Ohio State's number five. Yeah, right. And that's really where you're like, um, when you look at it, you're like, even like when you look Iowa match up against Illinois, Illinois' offense obviously has a great running back, but they're not yeah. world beaters. Right. And you feel like, all right, if we can score, obviously if they would have scored 10 points, it would have been enough. Mm-hmm. But you're looking at this game and you're like, what does Iowa need to score for to realistically win this game? Because as good as Iowa's defense is, what if it holds Ohio State to half of what it's averaging, that's 24 points. Right. Just over 24 points. Can I, can anybody sit here with a straight face and say, oh, that's okay. Iowa can score 27. Oh, you can't. <laughs> no, that's the shame. That's the scary part. I mean, the problem is, and, and you know, looking through just the offense for Ohio State and the players that they have, out of the 13 or so players, you know, that they play, you know, two different running backs, four different receivers, two tight ends, 11 out of the 13 are either four or five stars. Five of them are five stars. And you look at the, at the four wide receivers, four, three of them are five stars. The other one is Marvin Harrison Jr., who's, you know, Pops is in the NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, who also has three, three touchdown games this year. Iowa has two touchdown passes this year. He has three, three touchdown games. And a good defense is not, against a team like this, it's not going to shut them out. It's not going to keep them to 10 points. It's not going to, you know, maybe you could do that against a run-based offense. But even then we saw that with Michigan, that Michigan's pretty good too. It's, but the explosive plays. Now, Iowa can limit that. I, you know, Iowa's best chance of staying in the game is to prevent the big explosive play and to force them to do something they're not really capable of doing or haven't shown the, the, the desire to do, which is go, 12 plays, 75 yards. Now they're capable of doing that too, because they can run the ball and I was going to have to pick its poison, you know, and, and I think number one is limit the explosive plays, which means they're going to have to, they're going to have to concede something up front. And, uh, and that means Travion Henderson or Maya Williams is going to really, you know, be potentially 70 yards a carry against them, but you got to pick something. And 31 points to me, I think is, a win against a team like this, but it's not a win when it comes to the final score. I think if they hold them to 31 points, that's something I would look at it from Iowa's point of view going, all right, that's, that's not a bad effort. And I'll try to um, 
we can try to give the people some hope here, the people being the Iowa fans. And I think that's your points are big play. You can't give up the big plays. If you give up big plays, uh, it's going to be a long afternoon. So that I think is at the top of the list. I think we would agree that Iowa off the Iowa's offense has to show some signs of life, some even, you know, gaining field position. Uh, it's not going to be as, it's not going to be as impactful against an offense that, that of Ohio state, that's this explosive. But if you're sending your deep, if you're three and out six and out, whatever it is, and you're sending your defense out there consistently to try to stop the offense that we've talked about, it's going to wear down and it's worn down already this season. And if you can't get pressure on the quarterback on Stroud at all, he's just going to pick you apart. You can, you can play everything underneath. He's going to hit those passes and the receivers are going to be open and they're going to make enough plays to win the game. Even if it's field goals, even if Iowa holds them to, you know, three field goals and a touchdown, that might be enough. So, and that's, that's asking a lot of Iowa's defense. So Iowa can't turn the ball over. I think Iowa needs to get some turnovers win the field position battle. I know I'm trying to come up with something that's probably not likely. It's definitely not likely. Um, but really, if you're an Iowa fan and you have hopes, this has to be an ugly, just mucked up football game for them to even have a chance and get it to the fourth quarter. And then maybe you make a play, maybe something freakish happens. It almost happened at the end of the Illinois game with Riley Moss. You kind of just need to be in that position. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, it is. It's a lot to ask because you just, the defense is capable of doing that. I can see the path to victory with a competent offense because the defense is capable of creating turnovers of forcing C.J. Stroud, he's playing the best, you know, Notre Dame was really good in the opener, but he's playing against the best defense that he's going to face all year until Michigan probably. Um, They're going to, their style of play is tough to execute against if you don't have seven seconds to throw. Now, if you do, then you're going to have plenty of time to to do it. You know, the the one thing that's going to hurt them is that they run a lot of crossing routes. And they have such great talent. And if Jackson Smith and Jigba's back and he's healthy, oh, my God, that guy's just the best. So, <laughs> I mean, you almost have to just say, thank, you know, just watch the game and enjoy the opponent for what it is. But, but you know, Iowa's got a lot of pride, too. You know, I kind of compared this to the outsiders, the Socias versus the Greasers, you know, <laughs> on offense versus defense. Because, you know, Iowa's defense is really good and they care, and they're going to fight, and they're going to scrap, and they've been through the tough times, and, you know, when you got a Riley Moss, who was a gray shirt, and paid his first semester, and then got a scholarship, and Kayvon Merriweather was a two-star, and Quinn Schulte was a walk-on, and real, and the only consensus four-star is Cooper DeGene, you know, they, they've got a lot of guys who are saying, you know what, we're, we're going to go out, and we're going to play hard, and, and win, it's just, um, the the thing I fear is Iowa's defense usually teams scheme for it and and are pretty successful in the first drive and then things start to taper off later on. Um, if Ohio State does that and scores a touchdown, it doesn't mean the game's over. It just means then okay, then they kick off and it's a touchback or whatever, and Iowa gets the ball to twenty five. Uh, you know, in some semblance of order, there's a one yard run and an incompletion, and then third and nine. 
there's a sack, and then Torrey Taylor, no matter how great his leg is, punting from the goal line, Ohio State gets the ball at its 48-yard line, then, shit, you're, you're in trouble from the very beginning. And, and that's the kind of scenario Iowa can't have. And the problem is, because of their explosiveness and their passing game prowess, which Iowa doesn't face very often, is that you feel like, you know, even against Michigan, I felt this way a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, it, you don't necessarily need to score on every possession, but what you need to do is getting to move the ball enough to where they have to go the full length of the field. But when you're facing, you know, uh, Agbuka and <laughs> Smith and Jigba possibly and, and Julian Fleming and, and, and Marvin Harrison, that if they're backed up on their 10, they could hit a 90 on you right away. And that's, you know, and but Iowa can pick off a pass and score on it. At least they better score because once they get to the red zone, they do zero with it. And that is, <laughs> that is all coordination. And, and coaching. I'm sorry. That part, I will say, that's not on the offense. That's on that's on the play calling and coordination. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so hang in there, Jesse, um, from Twitter. Uh, let's look at Iowa's offense. You know, the things we've heard really don't matter. We've said this since the offseason. It's show us on the field, you know, improvement. And we've we heard during the offseason that things were going to be simplified after Alex Padilla's comments during the bowl prep of how, you know, it takes a year and a half or so to learn this and it's complicated and all right, coaches are going to make things simpler and it's going to look a little bit easier. It looks harder. It's really tough to watch. Um, you referenced 2013 where Iowa was able to, take advantage of Brandon Scherf and a really stacked tight end room. I, if Iowa comes out and tries to do what it's been doing this season, which is basically what I would call its base offense. I, I can't see success at all. It's got to try whether it's the short passing game, maybe throw to the backs more, some jet sweep, some pitch toss, some counter, more counter. Uh, more hat on hat. Do something different. That's what Iowa needs to do this week. What do you have to lose? Try some different things. The things you're doing aren't working, and you know, expecting at some point that there's better execution or that things are going to click is just to me a fool's errand, especially when you're playing a team this good. Yeah, exactly. And the the, the problem is, I mean. You and know, I know the you, offensive line limits what you can do, but why yeah, not try? Yeah, right. Well, when you look at the offensive line, you know, yes, there's the potential for some progress to be gained. And I, you know, and when players, into their credit, you know, they said, look, we're so much better than what we were, you know, six weeks. But so is everybody else. I right. mean, it's not like, you know, everybody else is just they here and I waiting, waiting like for that. you to catch up. Yeah, right. It's just this trajectory <laughs> is parallel with, you know, unless there's injuries or something. And, and so, you know, maybe Ohio State's defense has gotten better too over six weeks. And, and so there's got to, there's that kind of rub there. I, I think the only path I can see them having some success and it does start up front because if it doesn't, you know, it's a, it's a killer is maybe going back to that 2013 strategy of three tight ends. Maybe it's, maybe it's pot as your third tight end, you know, maybe, you know, having Laporta and Lachey and pot on the field or Stilianos or, 
or whatever, and just say, we're going to try to drive you off the damn ball. And because they don't have a speed receiver that can get past Denzel Burke and, and Ronnie Harrison. And, and those, those guys are NFL defensive backs. There's just no way that Iowa can, I mean, they can still make plays, but not as a full flat out strategy. I think the only way they can try to do it is try to play bully ball, but can they do that? You know, and I think the only way you can is gap and inside zone. It, and, and that's not a way to live, but it's a way to keep the ball. And maybe that's, that's frustrating enough to where if Iowa can maintain possessions for just a couple of first downs per possession, you know, and, and I mean, I am, <laughs> I'm really just uncomfortable talking like this because it's just such a, a limiting type of scenario, but you know, well, if you go be considered condescension, but it's not, it's reality. It's what we've seen right. for the last year and a half, basically. Exactly. And you look at, okay, if they can move from the 25 to the 48 and then they stall and then punt, but at least if they're on the field for five minutes of game action, then it, it helps their defense out. And then the defense is capable of having a couple three and outs. You know, I mean, it's not like they're terrible. I mean, they're going to give up some plays. They all, you know, everybody does. This is a good team. This is a team that you look at the, on their offense as a whole. Nine, ten of them are going to be draft picks, maybe more. You know, it's a better offense than last year. And last year was really good. Yeah, I mean, you, last year that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. <laughs> Two top ten receivers. <laughs> uh, and now here you are, and you're like, Marvin Harrison's better than he is. And, 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 you know, Buka is uh, a first-team All-American. And, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best one. He's the yes. best receiver I have ever seen in, uh, in the Big Ten. He's the best. Um, what he did in the Rose Bowl, 347 yards, is just – you, you can't put a price on that. So, and he hasn't even hardly played this year. And if is he, he back on, this week? Do we know? It's, it's iffy, you know, um, he hasn't really been set, you know, set out there that yes, he's playing, but. Yeah. And there's no need for them to really reveal whether he's playing or not when you're right. playing a really good defense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and, and, the, and the problem is for Iowa, you don't have any athletes whatsoever that can replicate what they can do in practice. No. You know, there's nobody that can go out there and run, <laughs> you know, you know, the 6'4", 220, and can run, a, you know, a 4'340", like Marvin Harrison or whatever. And then, uh, you know why? Because they'd be on the first team offense if they could. And, right. You know, Ke- Keegan Johnson might be the only one, but who knows what's happening there. It just sounds like, uh, you know, that's a frustrating area. It looks like for the coaches too. So, yeah, we've I've got, I know you've gotten a lot of questions on this and I think, you know, for to represent our podcast with the Keegan Johnson stuff, he'll play when he's healthy and we don't yeah. know when that will be. And just, you know, when he gets back, he gets back. If he gets back, I wouldn't expect it. Just proceed like he's not going to be back. And if he is, that's a bonus. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you're the coaches, I guess, you know, Kirk expressed some frustration. I thought the other day when he kind of said, look, we'll tell you when he's back, you know, we're just not going to answer. Because they're probably tired of here being asked about it as well. Right. And, uh, and, you know, maybe there is a difference of opinion as to, you know, whether he can make it back or not. And, and then last night on the radio, Dolph asked him the same thing and he was, you know, less short with it, but it was kind of the same deal that we just, you know, it's a, it's a complicated issue and, and soft tissue issue and stuff. And, and so at that point, 
I don't know, but you know, there's, there's a desire. I think there's a frustration among fans to say, just shut it down with it and just say he's not going to play the rest. Well, that's not the case. I mean, what happens if he's available to go to Purdue or play Minnesota or Wisconsin and you get the, the, the ability to go and be bowl eligible? You want to have your best players out there. And if he's one of your best players, that's great. It does sound like Deontay Bynes is going to be back and they're excited about that. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about it and beaten the horse to death that Iowa can use whatever it can get a receiver. And uh, by all accounts, he was having a really good camp before he got hurt. So it's just another component, uh, another you know addition to a position that's really struggled uh, in recent years. And uh, I guess I've gotten this question this week, Scott, and would throw it your way here. Uh, can Iowa get a moral victory this week? And is that acceptable uh, for a program like Iowa to feel a moral victory by hanging with Ohio state at this point? Yeah, they can. And I would never say that for just about any other game, but this is one where you can, because let's face it, this defense has played well, very, very well, you know, very good, whatever, you know, <laughs> whichever way you go. Um, and then I think the, the, the offense is not, and we know that now if the offense Let's say the offense gets 17 points on Ohio State, and two of the drives are from, you know, 65 to 80 yards. You know, you would feel like, okay, you're moving in a positive direction there. And let's say they lose 31 to, to 17, and you'd say, you know what, the defense kind of wore down at the end and gave up a late touchdown, but you were there. I think you accept that. I think you accept it as progress. Yes. You're not happy you lost, but you are happy that, hey, at least we, uh, at least we competed. And I think that's kind of a, a, a strong signal that the rest of the season, you know, you got a chance in those final five games. And, and so moral victory, you know, they're never going to admit that, but I think progress they'll accept. And, and if they lose by two touchdowns to the number two team in the country, um, then I think you accept it as progress. Um, build on the things that were successful and then move on. But I don't know. What do you think, Rob? I think it's important to, to accomplish some, you know, experience some success offensively in an important part of the game. First half when the game isn't, because I almost feel like that Michigan game at mm -hmm. the end was full and scold for Iowa because it was yeah. like, oh, we we scored on Michigan, you know, we made progress, we felt like we take it took a step forward, and then yeah. at Illinois. Right. So I think if you know first quarter, second quarter, early third quarter, you put a drive together or two drives together in that period when the game is still in the balance, I think that gives you a little bit more confidence, and and I think it also is more legitimate in terms mm -hmm. of because if you score, you know, if it's whatever. 34 to three in the fourth quarter and you throw a touchdown or two up there to me, that's not, to, that's not going to instill any confidence in me that the offense has fixed itself. If you've go three quarters with three points or something like that. So I think it's really in that first half, the first three quarters to, to just, as you said, even if you don't score, move the ball from the 25 to the 45, move the yeah. ball from, you know, your own 25 across midfield, you get stuck. It sucks. You're like, oh, we're making progress. 
punt the ball, get it, get them down within their, because I still think defensively, and I, I certainly think I, Ohio State is capable of dinking its dunking its way down the field with the weapons that it has. Yeah. And I think the I, Ohio and Kevin Wilson, I watched his press conference this week. He knows what he's getting into. Yeah. So he's going to know, okay, they're hell bent on not giving us the deep stuff, mm-hmm. big play stuff. We have to be patient. And he's probably stressing, we need to be patient. Just take those. 10, 12, 15 yards that you can get, eight yards, whatever it is, and we'll just methodically move the ball. And I think Ohio State is capable of that. But just keep making them do that. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is to move the ball offensively, put Ohio State in negative uh, field position, way negative field position inside the 20, and also by moving the ball a little bit offensively, you give your defense a chance to catch his breath. If you keep throwing it out there, you know, and even if Ohio State's deep in its own end, it's going to score. It's just too, there's just too much talent to keep holding it down. So the offense has to, it has to help this week. There's no, we talk about the three phases and complementary football. If the offense sucks, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. Because, as bad as any of the scenarios are, you know, the one that could hurt the most is you're going to halftime trailing seven to three. (laughs) Yeah. Because, because then, then that is fool's goal because you know, they're going to come out and score, you know, they're going to come out and score multiple times, probably five straight possessions on you because you've already kind of had that toll, uh, you know, accumulate on your defense. And, and so it, it really is about, you know, maintaining possession as long as you can. And then I think Iowa's defense is capable of frustrating Ohio State multiple times, uh, multiple possessions, because as you said, what what they're going to do to compensate, you know, they're going to probably still have one route that goes deep on pretty much every, you know, longer pass, but they're going to have a lot of crossing routes. That's going to be difficult for Iowa to, to defend because they are so good and athletic and Smith and Jigba is, is, if he's playing, that's, that's a really tough spot, but if uh, you know, so if that happens then, but the patience part of it is important because they have really young players too on there, you know, even Stroud. I mean, he's, he's a redshirt sophomore. He's a third year player, but they want to hit the big play too. That's what they thrive in. So, okay. They move from their own 21 to the Iowa 49 now they're going to try the big play, and that's when Lucas Van Ness hits them. The ball goes up in the air, and Jack Campbell picks it off. That's why you got to stick with it, the ground acquisition theory of make them earn every damn inch of territory because if they hit you for an 80-yarder, you're, you're effed. You're screwed. But if, you, if they hit you for 15, 10, it feels like they're, they're ground, gaining ground, but ultimately there's that watershed moment there where you can kind of go, okay, we can get them on this. Or if YA Black's playing, which I think he will, you know, can he collapse the pocket and force a sack and then they punt and then they get frustrated and then they start to press. And then that's when your offense has to make sure that, God damn it, you got the ball past the 50, go freaking score. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little frustrated because I'm just looking at these numbers going, do something, God damn it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, I think everybody that, follows this team 
feels that way. And I think you'd be lying if you, you didn't think there were people on the defensive side of the ball in Iowa's locker room. They're not going to say it and they're not going to express it to their teammates or their coaches or us. But I'm sure there's frustration there that when you play as well as they're playing defensively and you're not getting anything out of it. I think for the defense, Scott, the focus needs to be, and I'm sure it was this the off week, they played really good offensive line in Michigan and a solid offensive line in Illinois, and they gave up too many run, rushing yards. And, and if, if Ohio State is able to run the football, which it certainly is capable of doing, yee, that's not good because then you're going to get yourself uh, out of position thinking about that next run and where it's coming, and then that's when they hit you. You're right, and they can definitely do that, and they probably will try. I mean, it wouldn't, you know, it, it's probably one of those where, hey, this is probably the best defense we'll face until Michigan, maybe Alabama, maybe Georgia, maybe Tennessee or Clemson or somebody like that. We're going to have to work. <laughs> we're going to have to work on these areas. I mean, this is like Spencer Lee playing against, you know, wrestling <laughs> somebody who's ranked, but not yeah. in the same territory. It's like, you know, we know we're going to win. And we know we're going to play, you know, we're going to score and, and do what we need to do. But we also need to figure out these aspects of our offense. And and it very well could be, you know, hey, uh, Paris Johnson, you're going up against Joe Evans. That's a tough matchup. How do you, you know, how do you win that battle? Because that guy's a first-round draft pick, you know. And and so they're going to have to – they're going to probably try to run because they've got great running backs too. I mean, Henderson's been hurt a lot this year. And Williams is a, is, is a good back too. And it's just – you know, does Iowa, you know, could Iowa's two gap style prevent them from getting that kind of attrition? And I don't know. I, I don't know. It's there. There's just so many different things that Ohio state can hit you with that. It's really, it's hard because there's no other, you know, the counter punch isn't there for Iowa. It's, it's, I kind of thought about an, an analogy that, you know, it's like, you know, an, an older over the hill type of, fighter gets an MMA ring with the the champ and he has got a pulled hamstring you know and it's just like you, no matter what you do you're just not going to be able to you're, you're going to try to fight you're going to be tough because I expect them to fight they have a lot of pride but it's going to be really tough to try to do what you can do just to even stick with it. Ari Gold in the YouTube chat room has a lot of suggestions on what Iowa can do. So hopefully um, the coaches check out that chat room. Milk the clock, Ari says. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great if they could do that. Uh, let's yeah. see. But hopefully we've given everybody a lot of hope in the first <laughs> half hour of this podcast of what can happen Saturday in Columbus. But as Scott said, watch the game, see what happens. Upsets happen. Let's see if Iowa made – I I too think moral victory as as much as it makes me kind of cringe a little bit to say it uh, when you're in year 24 of a coaching regime and you've you won the West last year and you would think that there's a chance this week um, moral victory is probably on the table this week and you know that uh you know you've got five important games left the rest of the season if you can get a little bit of a springboard here by playing well against one of the top teams if not the top team in the country you take it yeah because because what lies after this i mean that they're going to be three and four um you play northwestern at home there's motivation there you've lost three straight at home to northwestern 
and you need to get back to, you know, because that would, a loss isn't going to be devastating on Saturday here. A loss would be devastating against Northwestern because that will crush, that will send everybody over the edge. Yep. But if you, you know, but if you play well, you know, see something that, okay, we, we've got something here. Maybe we can build on that. And then the next week you beat Northwestern at home and then you play Purdue. And, and that one seems more personal, you know, Ohio state's more of a, <laughs> you know, you're going up a couple classes uh, that, that Purdue for the first time, in my opinion, is really expected to win against Iowa, but it's a personal game. Um, you know, maybe you see, maybe you did some things against Ohio State to make you think that it doesn't matter what Purdue has. We have a chance here, or if you're for on your Iowa side, then you get into three straight trophy games against rivals. And looking at those three games, I don't see a reason why Iowa can't win them. And I know people might go, "What? You know, they're going to lose them all." No, I, did you watch Wisconsin play Michigan State? Did Did anybody watch Minnesota play Illinois? There are four, you know, Tanner Morgan was four of 12 passing for 21 yards. Spencer he, was way better than that. Is Morgan back this week? I don't know. And, you know, he's, he's out. I don't know if he's coming back or not, but, um, you know, that, that could be a key as to what happens with Penn State on the road. But, sure. but you think about, you know, Mo Ibrahim. Yes, he's a great running back, but I didn't see anything in Minnesota against Illinois to make me go, man, I was going to really struggle here. It's going to be a fist fight. 60 minutes and maybe they win, maybe they lose. But, you know, when you, when you look at that pig and you remember what the symbol of victory is, you know, you got a chance. And then finally, do you really want to lose to Nebraska to end the season? You know? So if Iowa can, you know, realistically, I mean, lose this one, go four and one to finish and you go to a bowl game, that's really helpful to get the 15 extra practices in December. And then it's like, Hey, you know, it wasn't our best season, but at least you got to a bowl game because a lot of teams don't that have this type of year. And, and I think it's, again, something to build on, provided that the, the coaching staff learns the lessons um, from what not to do ever a freaking again um, going forward. And if they don't, then shame on them because the season ticket sales are going to go through, you know, fall through the bottom next year. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, an article Scott wrote this week about um, Iowa's offense in the red zone. With the headline, Iowa football's dead zone. It's part philosophy, part execution, and part personnel. We'll dive into that on the other side of the break. We want to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI. Dot org. We're going to hear from a few more of our sponsors right now. I'm going to get another cup of coffee, uh, and we'll be back on the other side to talk about Scott's article and break down Iowa's dead zone offense. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 
5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And we are back. Thank you to the sponsors, one and all, for the support of the podcast. Scott, let's dive into this article. It was interesting. I saw this. You published it yesterday, I believe, on Wednesday, um, October the 19th. And it immediately brought to mind a question that I had gotten in the Mailbag podcast a few weeks ago from Jesse Lucier on Twitter about he was just neither one of us had the, the you know, the the data of looking into what I, but both of us were like, yeah, they don't really throw the ball into the end zone when they get down there. It's kind of weird, but you did the research. Tell folks about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was really starting to kind of think about this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, not only throwing and I actually did a you know full scale, but I, I cut out all the running numbers, which aren't any good either. But really, it was about the passing that kind of got to me. And I was like, okay, what, what's going on here? And um, in the red zone over the last 14 games, you know, which Iowa is seven and seven since the six and zero start last year, I really wanted to examine how, what they do, how they throw it, how they run it in the red zone. And it, of course it's, it, it's all bad. Every aspect of it's bad, but the passing of it, is so bad. It's really hard to, to gather. And, and I kind of divided it between from inside the 10. And then of course the red zone as a whole. And over that 14 week period, they've thrown 15 passes inside the 10 yard line. So about a little over one per game for a total of three yards. Um, this year, they're four. Of, this is an unreal stat this year from inside the 10 yard line, they're four or five passing for five yards, one touchdown. And they had a five-yard pass to um, to um, uh, Luke Lachey over the top of the goal line. <laughs> and uh, that's what they did, you know, just to score. This year, that, that's the only pass they've thrown inside the 10 that actually is into the end zone. And if you will, that was barely into the end zone at that. Um, and then when you look from the 11 to the 20 over those 14 games, they've They've got uh, their eight of 17 for 47 yards. And that's still just absolutely God awful. That's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, how are you throwing it that short all the time? And they, but Spencer has only thrown one into the end zone from that distance. And that was to Laporta back uh, at Rutgers. Okay. And on that, and on that play, Arlen Bruce was wide open under. Yep. So it's like, it shouldn't even throw it that. So this year, they've thrown two passes into the end zone in six games. Overall, and I went back to last year over that last eight-game block, from inside the 10, they'd thrown, they threw three um, other ones, and they were all Alex Padilla. No, no completions, but they were all Alex, Alex Padilla thrown in the end zone. And then that was from inside the 10. They only threw one other one in, into the end zone. And it was that uh, fake pass uh, against Michigan in the championship game to Monty Potabon. And that was just barely over the goal line as well. Yeah, it's almost like it's hard to fathom what the strategy is here. Mm -hmm. 
um, you're trying to get into the end zone, but you're trying to do so by throwing short of the end zone and hoping you can get into the end zone when there are opportunities and you're in a position to be able to design routes into the end zone. It's just, it's really bizarre. It's, it's so shocking. It's really, I, I, I tried to, I went through it. Then I went through it by personnel grouping and, and just, I spent way too much damn time on it and, and cut out so much of the research that it's like, I had to really stick to the relevant ones, but I mean, 15 passes for three yards over that, that span. I mean, this year you're looking at, um, you know, pass, you know, there was what, four, pa- four completions. You had the five yarder to Lachey. Then you had a one yard, a zero, and a minus one in, inside the 10 yard line. That's throwing wide, that's throwing um, out routes, that's, that sort of thing. Um, God, <laughs> you know, well, throw it in the end zone, you know, uh, and, and I don't know, is it quarterback choice? Is it scheme? Yes, to both. I mean, quarterback probably is getting pounded to do it this way. The only thing I can think of is, it's it's safer, but it's risk averse. But at some point, you're going to have to just take the step forward. And then looking back, Nate Stanley threw 47 red zone touchdowns, one red zone interception, if we all remember. But still, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson combined for 21 of those red zone catches. You know, and it's just unbelievable where where they're going. And I understand they don't have a a fade route receiver yet you know maybe Brody Brecht gets into that but you've got to run some routes in the end zone and get some people open because this is just this is just uncalled for as you said it's it's more than one thing but I think it has to start with philosophy right Mm -hmm. and approach to give guys a chance that risk averse approach um you're not really putting your players and I think Kirk and Brian both said this during the, you know, the, the bye weeks that we had that you want to put your players in the best position to succeed. And it just seems like this cuts against that, that you're not really doing that. You're making it more difficult for them. Yeah. I mean, you're asking guys other than probably Arlen Bruce and maybe a running back or something to do something that they're, they're not capable of doing in some ways, which is being more athletic than the defender covering them. I mean, yeah. the best best way to score is to find an open position across the goal line, and you're not throwing it there. And and when you're talking about your starting quarterback, who's only thrown two passes in the last 14 games into the end zone, you're really that that's more than just the quarterback. That's the philosophy. That's the strategy. That's the coordination. That's the play calling. That's everything. And, you know, when, all the times with GD, GD, you know, with Greg Davis and throwing wide and, you know, it's fourth and three. And we remember that play against Purdue where I think it was James Vandenberg threw in a one yard pass to Zach Derby out. He was tackled. You know, those plays don't work. I mean, you know, unless you have a player who can, beat somebody one-on-one and they don't so I just this is the philosophical part of things there there are things that Brian gets a lot of crap for that it's not really his fault this one is this one clearly is my own yeah and I think I would be 
a little bit more, I don't want to say comfortable, but I could understand it more if it was just this season yeah, with just these guys. <clears throat> but as you researched, it goes back seven games of last season mm-hmm. with, is that right? Eight. Eight games of last season and six of this season. So mm-hmm. it's deliberate. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I broke it down into three groups. Uh, and even though I didn't write that, but I guess I can, I have my notes, which is the last four games of last year, which had been Kentucky, Michigan, Nebraska, and Illinois. They had 20 plays inside the 10 yard line, uh, and they gained 21 yards. There were 12 runs for 23 yards and two touchdowns eight passes, and there were three of eight for minus two yards. Um, and, and no sacks, but they did have two false starts. Um, in the four games preceding that, you know, the two losses to Purdue, the win against Minnesota, and another win in there, um, trying to remember which one, Northwestern. Um, they ran 17 plays inside the 10-yard line for 26 yards, or 15 runs for 26 yards. Two passes, 0 for 2, you know. So, uh, you know, that, that's just, that's rough. And then, and then you can, you know, spread it out and I, and I divided it into 11 through the 20 and, you know, for the first six weeks here, just from that distance, they ran 17 plays for 29 yards. Um, they've had a sack. They have seven passes, four of seven for 13 yards in the, in, from the 11 through the, the 20. I mean, that's, you've got full, full depth available to you. And you think about one of those passes that was a nine yarder um, that uh, Arlen Bruce caught and then tripped, it would have been a touchdown. Yeah. And then now they've had a couple of other decent plays that, uh, it, and it got really, you know, the, the yardage got chopped back quite a bit because of that flip pass in, in Illinois, because that's, it's considered a pass. But I mean, they just, when you take this into totality, there's just, it, it's really, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different descriptions you can use for this and they're not good. Well, I wonder, I mean, like we said, they've had, you know, that, that bye week and they talked about examining things, you know, self-scouting and what they need to do better and what they can change. This seems like an easy one. Mm-hmm. You'd think, you know, around the goal line, Hey, let's, let's make sure we get a couple of routes into the end zone. Yeah. You know, um, that's that's the best way to score, you know, when you catch the ball over the goal line rather than run to the goal line. Um, it's kind of like the difference between a layup and a jump shot. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's simple, you know. Yeah. And and so you think that'd be something that they look at. I'm sure I, I do know that sometimes they do read our stuff. And this one's probably one that they will read. And today is their off day. So I'm sure they will. But, you know, it, it's it's really important. Because if they're inside the five, you know, I mean, like take the sequence they had against uh, um, Illinois when Riley Moss f- forces a fumble, Seth Benson recovers it at the five. I mean, they went, what, incomplete pass, minus three-yard run, um, then a 15-yard penalty. You know, it's just they're, they're with the whole damn series, you know, which the defense gave you a gift. Well, they still almost beat Illinois that way. They probably still should have. But you look at uh, Ohio State, you've got to take advantage of every single one of those opportunities. This is one area where you need to look at and go, damn, 
we've really screwed up on this one. And I guarantee if the defensive coaches see this, they're going to be, they're going to be stewing themselves. Yeah. And I, that first drive against Illinois too, where uh, the uh, ill-advised shovel pass to mm-hmm. uh, Laporta, Laporta yeah. I mean, that to me is a wasted opportunity. Yeah. That's overthinking it. It's deciding, Hey, I want to, I want to do something. Cool. I mean, you look at two, trick plays now granted we want to see more exotics and fun stuff but had he just hand the ball off to Arlen Bruce instead of uh because it was kind of a zone read type uh shovel pitch Arlen would have scored I mean they they had no running backs on the field at that time they had it was the first time they ran the the 0-2 um offense which was two tight ends and three receivers on the field and and then you look at the flip pass it's like, I understand why you're trying something different here, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I almost wonder, it's like, if you get inside the five, maybe just decide, you know what, we're going to quarterback sneak it on four straight plays. <laughs> you, know, you probably have more success, you know, than, than trying something like that. Because that was like a minus one yard. And it just, again, it kind of fell apart. And it's like, guys, you're making it too difficult. And the, the coaching isn't helping on this one. The coordination, the play call, none of it's helping. It's always uh, it's always interesting to see what teams look like coming out of a bye and and what changes may have been made because we hear a lot about that from coaches. You know, we're gonna we're gonna break things down and we're gonna look at our team and we're gonna figure out what works and what doesn't work and we're gonna go with those things and add in things that we think are gonna work and uh, oh yeah, you're gonna try to do it against Ohio State. Yeah, right. It's like it would have been better off had Iowa played Ohio State last week and had their bite this week. Yeah. You know, just to get it out of the way because, uh, you know, it's just such a, you know, it's just, it's such a tough matchup and, and uh, they could self scout all right that way. But yeah, I don't know, man. This is, uh, this is kind of almost in, and I hate to say it, but almost in the lick lighter era hopelessness at least this game not not across the board but you know it just feels feels that way the offense resembles look offense yeah oh, listless sure. lackluster yeah. yes <laughs> i i called that offense uh 30 seconds of fear and five seconds of panic <laughs> yeah we don't need to revisit that yeah, right right now. <laughs> this watching this football offense is uh is tough enough um Let's hop into a little recruiting, Scott. Uh, some offers this past uh, weekend, uh, mostly to skill guys, mostly to mm-hmm. running backs, receivers, tight ends. Uh, so obviously trying to address uh, obvious lo- loss, Kendrick Raphael. So running back is a need in this class. Uh, so hop threw out some offers there. Uh, Arnold Barnes uh, from down in the New Orleans area c- committed to Tulane. Uh, Kamari Moulton uh, from South Florida, who played for uh, Liddell Betts when mm-hmm. Liddell Betts uh, coached at Pinecrest down in the Fort Lauderdale area. Another running back. Um, there's also there was a uh, Tulane commitment too that got an offer. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but a running back or Barnes? I think it was a running back. Yeah. Was it on um, Barnes? No, this guy was committed to Vandy. Barnes is committed to Tulane. So, um, 
I'll try to remember him, but Jordan Faison is a yeah. another uh maybe Faison is the guy who played for uh bets. I'm getting these all mixed up. I did a bunch of these stories this week, but Faison, yeah, Faith Faison, Jordan Faison is uh from Pinecrest uh and he's an athlete. Uh also got an offer. And then I thought the most interesting one, Scott, was Ishmael Smith Flores. Mm-hmm. Um People will remember Leroy Smith fondly. Right. Uh, it's his son and uh, Danon Hughes' godson. Yeah. Danon and Leroy played together at Iowa, uh, late 80s, early 90s. So uh, kind of a cool connection there. And uh, they're not sure with him yet. Big kid. We talked about having a guy who could uh, you could throw jump balls to in the end zone. This looks like a guy who could be that big wide receiver type, Brandon Smith type. And also could eventually develop into a tight end too, depending on how his his body grows. But it was good to see the Iowa coaches out there during the bye week uh, going after guys that are committed to other schools. This is something you would not have seen 10 years ago with Iowa, uh, but all's fair in love and recruiting. And if you have guys that are still open to looking at other schools, you take the shot. Yeah, you got to take the shot now. They're Because now they're getting to that point of, okay, um, two months le- left until signing day. You've got to start making some inroads with some of these uh, players. You've got, you've got some games at home. You could bring them in for a visit and, you know, maybe an official or whatever, but um, you know, I think the bye week kind of did that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm interested in running back. I, I had a conversation kind of also about Kendrick Raphael, what did or didn't happen there. And, he just wants to take a step back. I was giving him a little space, but but they still communicate. It's not necessarily that he's completely out, but it's not that I don't think they're expecting it either. Um, but, you know, Nolan Ray would be a really interesting one still. You know, they're still up on him. And, you know, this week, get past this week and maybe kind of see what who might want to come to campus. But of, of all of them, to me, though, it's really about receiver. And they're kind of going after some really interesting guys. As you said, Jordan Faison from Fort Lauderdale is a guy that, you know, that uh, Liddell Betts coached. Um, I really, you know, Ryan Mooney is a really fascinating one. I think he went what, to Duke last week yeah. to check it out. Uh, he's a guy that's, uh, you know, what, a, a lacrosse player. I think it's lacrosse, right? And uh, Faison? So, no, Mooney. Well, Faison no. is too. Faison is oh. committed to uh... – Notre Dame, Notre Dame for lacrosse. Okay. Yeah, Mooney worked yeah, out I with am. it. Worked out with uh, Nico. Yeah, Nico was a lacrosse player. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, they need to. There's a lot there, and, and so I don't know, man. Uh, they, I still think that maybe they're still planning on it, but you know, you still got to go to the portal. You, you can't just. Um, you, you can try to get as many as you want, but once the portal opens, you've got to be more aggressive than you ever have been before because they just can't afford to do this. You know, Camorian uh, Pimpton was the guy I was thinking of, a tight end out of uh, out of Texas who's committed to Vanderbilt. So, okay, um, yeah, obviously tight end is a position, uh, wide receiver and running back. Uh, mm-hmm. Those I think are the what are at seventeen commitments in this class twenty three. Yeah, I think that's right. 17 since, since uh, um, what's his face dropped out? Raphael dropped out. So. so you've got room here and I don't know where else you would want to, uh, <laughs> where else you would want to add than those skill positions. 
Right. Yeah, you got to. And, you know, but the other thing is that I, I think, you know, they're it, like running back is a is a different game than, than receiver right yeah. now. Because they've got, you know, four guys who are sophomores or younger that are capable of, of playing. I, I, you know, and I don't even know, maybe Devin Hilson is too, but I like Jazz Patterson. I think it's just kind of a numbers game with them. But Caleb Johnson and LaShawn Williams to me are, are guys you can really ride off with. And, uh, but receiver is the one that they've got to be, they've got to attack. And maybe they are here, but I think that's also a portal attack. And whenever somebody opens up, you got to be all over them because you cannot have what happened, you know, really all season, but especially the first two games because that was that was an abomination. It's really a balancing act, Scott, because even if you're in the portal or you're going junior college or you're going high school, you're trying to get quality players to play a position that you're struggling with currently in your program. And you have to sell to these recruits that they can help. And I think Iowa is able to do that to a degree with Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce and Brody Brecht saying, Hey, you're going to have an opportunity to play early. And they all Mm -hmm. did. Um, Brody was hurt last year, but as soon as he was healthy, he got in there this year. Obviously Keegan and Arlen played as true freshmen. Um, That's really the selling point. You got to say, listen, you know, we're going to most likely lose Nico. Um, We don't know what's going on with Keegan Johnson, just in terms of, you know, his injuries uh, and health. So you have an opportunity to come in and play right away. You have to find kids that want to do that as opposed to, uh, you know, a situation like with Charlie Jones, where Charlie Jones is, yeah, I can, you know, I can, I can play in this system or I can go somewhere where they throw the hell out of the ball. So it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard to convince guys, enough guys, the right guys to come on board when you're in a position like this. You know, and that's where they're going to have to trust their evaluations and be better at them than they have been in the past. I mean, you know, they're the ideal situation for Iowa is a Charlie Jones from Buffalo, which is he played well at, at a Mac school. Um, he's looking for a bigger, better opportunity. He wants to play at a major school. And you look and Iowa could say, look, we're, we're a passing game short of being a really, really good team. And we could use somebody like you. You're going to have every opportunity to come in and play right away. And the, the, the chance for somebody to go from a Mac school or Missouri Valley conference school and play in a big 10 environment and showcase your ability against some of the best defensive backs in the world. Uh, I think you, you, you know, you can sell that. The problem is you can't sell a fifth-year guy necessarily or, you know, fourth-year guy looking for their last year and wanting to showcase their abilities in a different offense. Yeah, that's not going to work. Um, and you're not going to be able to go out and get a four-star unless they love the Hawks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's just not going to happen. So you're just going to have to build it organically. And and uh, they've had capable players like that, but they're just going to have to alter the offense too to showcase those players a little bit more often because, you know, uh, look at Charlie Jones. That is an indictment. And it's not, you know, and, and there is style of play. I mean, Iowa does do, do things differently than Purdue, and Purdue can vault those numbers up that Iowa can't. But that's just one small aspect. You've got to, you know, he had opportunities or they – they didn't give him to him last year when he had 21 targets and 14 catches 
and he made some big plays. Iowa State, um, Minnesota, you know, stuff like that. But the yeah. gulf, the gulf, the chasm between yeah. where Purdue is and where Iowa is in a passing game. It's not like he went to Purdue like in 2009 or 10 when you had Marvin McNutt and Darrell. Yeah. You know, right. you look at that and you make a switch to Purdue now, what Purdue looks like now, you're like, eh, it's it's a move forward because you're going to a, a, a offense that relies more on the pass. But look, at Iowa still throws the ball successfully. It's not that now. Yeah. It's just a giant gulf. Yeah, it's not like Jamison Williams going to Alabama from Ohio no. State. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, it's not. You know, you know, so <laughs> it's, man, I can't play in this offense. It's not going to do anything for me. And now, you know, and he bet on himself and he won big because now, now he's got a chance to be a draft pick. Um, at Iowa, he would have been at best a free, uh, you know, undrafted free agent. And he's good, you know, he, we had him, I think, as our second team All American receiver. He would not have been a second team All American receiver at Iowa. And so Iowa's going to have to fight that. And that's a legitimate fight. And that's one that they're going to have to answer to on the recruiting trail when they go after these receivers. And, um, you know, but, you know, they're going to have to be creative. They're going to have to look at receivers, you know, maybe. You know, Division Two guys, you know, they love doing that for the other spots, but they're going to have to do the same at wide receiver, um, you know, and it's – and the one thing that they've probably missed on more receivers than any other position because a lot of times they'll take the third or fourth um, guy at in Florida, fourth-tier guy, and then they never do anything because, you know, we look at what happened with just name the receiver in Texas with Greg uh, – or with uh, – Bobby Kennedy, and then in um, Florida, they they grab guys and then they flame out. So they're going to have to be very careful because they're going to have to get somebody who can at least step in and play, even if it's just modest level. And a lot of these offers that um, we're talking about that went out in the last week are Texas and Florida, which is interesting that I was diving back in there, very talented states. But then you wonder, Scott, what you're saying, are they going after guys that are in the lower tiers and then in conjunction with that, is Iowa a place where you can, where they are proficient at developing receivers? Can, are, you know, where, where's the receiver development coming? I mean, we've seen it a little bit, but did Tyrone Tracy develop? Is Arlen Bruce developing? Um, Amir did, I think. You could say he did. Um, but he had a pretty good starter kit. Um, that, I wonder, it's a combination of identification, evaluation, and then development, right? Because they're doing that at the other positions. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, are, that's that's a great question because I don't know. I mean, you look at Tyrone Tracy and him leaving Iowa for Purdue. He hasn't done anything at Purdue that makes you go, man, we really miss that. Other than the fact that he's a the competent receiver and they could have help but that's more about the the state you're you're in than than really what you know he is right but is that because he's limited anyway and um or is it because hey iowa just never developed him over his three to four years Uh, that that i don't know and and then you look at um you know amir had unbelievable speed um just game-breaking speed 
and he developed. He's, he was always raw. He was raw in the NFL, which is why he got cut the other day. Um, had some really bad plays for the Bears. Um, you know, Brandon Smith, I think he developed to an extent, but I, I, you know, I know he was very, very, very frustrated by the way he was used, especially in his last year. Um, and so there's, that, that's a great question. I mean, is Devon that Smith? Yeah. Tavon Smith. And he was a different coach, uh, you know, had him, but Tavon had more ability than what he was allowed to show or whatever. Yep. And, and is that the, the holistic or are we talking specific receiver coach development? Yeah. And it, does it all fit together? I don't know. I mean, would they be better off with a different wide receiver coach? Would they be better off with somebody like Marvin McNutt, who's now a, uh, you know, wide receiver coach at Co who understands the system and somebody that Brandon Smith and, and Amir Smith-Marset went and worked out with because they respected him so much. You know, that might not be the worst idea in the world for Iowa. So. Yeah. Um, it's always that, you know, the chicken or the egg is it the is it the front end evaluation mm-hmm. is it the development it's probably a combination of the two yeah mm-hmm. for sure and um, they need to figure it out yeah. and right now because <laughs> they need to get guys yeah. in the program now that can help next year yeah and that that's they're only going to be able to do that if they hit the portal i mean because you can't take a raw athlete from Wherever high school, Florida, Texas, yeah. wherever, you know, there's going to be some development time needed. Yeah. They're not just going to be able to walk in the door. And even if they are here, you know, like Keegan and Arlen were different because they actually had the ability right away. And how do they feel? Do they feel like they, and they both they enrolled early, right? Yeah. They enrolled early. So they were, you know, in the spring, they were showing case and their abilities right. and, and uh, they vaulted up the list very quickly. And then we're, you know, and that's because they didn't have a lot in front of them either, which right. is again part of the problem. Well, and, and, and in that case, and they, they lost had, they lost Amir and, and Brandon, so I get that. Yeah, they did have Charlie Jones at the time. Right. They did they did have uh, uh, Tyrone Tracy, and they did have um, Nico Regani. So, but they were like four and five. Right. You know, and Keegan was a little bit ahead of Arlen at that time, but they were all in that okay, they can play. And then they started inching their way upward. Um, but they had the ability to play right away too. Um, you're not going to find those types of athletes right away. That's the problem. And, and unless they go to the portal and grab a, again, a, a Charlie Jones from Eastern Michigan type, or, you know, and, and even then they want to catch passes too. So good luck, but you know, it, you made your own bet on this one. You know, this one's, this one's about, um, I, I mean, this is an Iowa issue. This isn't just a circumstantial issue like it was. First two games, yes, but holistically, it's it's an Iowa issue. I don't think I've asked you this on the podcast, but somebody asked me this in the mailbag recently. Who's Iowa's starting quarterback in 2023? Not on the roster. Do you think it's Marco? Uh, it could or be Marco. Transfer, transfer portal? Yes, I think it's a portal guy. I, I, I just don't – if they would have had, they can say all they want that they have faith or whatever in, in Alex Padilla and, and believe in him and have confidence in him. And then they're going to, they're going to always say that, but that, that ship has sailed, right? He's yeah. probably going to move. He must have, I mean, if I'm in his position, if I'm in his shoes, I'm like, I'm not valued here. Yeah. I mean, you look at the first two weeks, 
um, and the way Spencer played in those two games. You know, really the last four he played okay. But the first two, that should have said, hey, we got to have something else in there. This is just not good enough. And he hasn't taken a single snap any of these games. And, um, you know, and Joey Labus hasn't moved up past him. So then, you, you know, he's a... It sounds like he hasn't... I mean, at least if you take Brian's comments at face value, it sounds like he hasn't made up any ground. Right. And I haven't heard anything about, uh, you know, May, Carson May, except for <laughs> except for Caleb Johnson's, uh, uh, you know, Instagram feed, you know. But, <laughs> but even then, you know, and I asked him about it. It's, it's just... You know, it's it's a freshman in college. He's buddy, and he's yep. just like, hey, that's my guy. You know, I don't blame him. I'm not going to get on him about that. People so, go, people just yeah. lose their minds over things like that, and and just don't put yourself in a you know an 18, 19 year old kid's yeah. head again. Try to anyway. I don't want to go right. back into no. 18 or 19 year old Rob House mm-hmm. head at all. I don't need to be back there at all in that no. space. <laughs> Me either. That's that's so far along. I, I just I, I want to. I wouldn't mind having 18, 19 year old Scott Dockman's body, but not, yeah, uh, not true. the mind. I don't think the mind today, but no, that it's just the, you know, when you look at Caleb and, you know, that, I, I just, I, I don't think that they have a guy. I mean, it could be Marco. This sure could, you know, but I also would probably think that if, if I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if I was to make a projection, it's that, Alex Padilla graduates in December. He'll probably look for another opportunity. I can't speak to Joey Labus or, you know, maybe they decide to stick around. I don't know. But um, if I'm Spencer, I try the NFL or, you know, and leave. I wouldn't come back for a COVID year. And then finally, I would, I would imagine that some quarterback out there is going to want that opportunity to come to Iowa and do something bigger, you know, and it's probably not going to be a, a power five transplant because then you're just kind of accepting another type of quarterback like that but it's going to be more of a southeast missouri state quarterback you know looking for that opportunity why couldn't you get a guy i mean maybe not peyton ramsey level yeah but you know it's not like these things don't happen elsewhere Mm -hmm. all right i mean i looked last year at like keaton slovis um who, who they who AJ Abneza hurt in that yeah. holiday bowl. And he, he left USC and went to Pitt. And I'm like, why go to Pitt, who lost their offensive coordinator instead of Iowa? And did Iowa even, even a try that? I, mean, I do know that they tried a couple of guys. Um, Adrian Martinez was one of them, which was really uh, so bizarre. But Could you um, imagine if that, was, that would have been. You talk about square peg in a round hole. That thing, oh, I know. that does not seem like it makes any sense to me. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, but, you know, maybe they figured, hey, at least he can <laughs> do all the things that we've asked about. Maybe we'll move him to receiver. Yeah, right. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, and, and there are others, but they never, you know, it's all about did you do it or didn't you do it? You know, right. it's not about how they could play. We could you know, play hypotheticals all day. And so I, I think this is a, you know, they, they've got to go after it. They got to attack it. Then they probably got to attack it at offensive line too. And, and they've got to put aside this narrow, narrow, narrow interpretation of what a Hawkeye is. And they got to be more accepting of somebody else fitting in and pr- bringing a melting pot of ideas and talents, not just 
you do it this way and this is the way we do it you know that that's just it's out of the that. comfort zone right it's yeah. it's that risk averse you have to yeah. take some risk i mean they they hit the portal for one guy and he's the third team tight end maybe fourth team tight end he's and sounds like he got off on a bad foot to start with yeah. kirk and really hasn't gotten footing his foot foot his feet oh. under him yeah right so that's like okay well you know he'll he'll be uh maybe the third tight end next year alongside um you know Lachey and probably Ostranga you know because I think Ostranga is doing well maybe even Johnny Jacuzzi you know yeah. so <laughs> yeah you know is that Lord help right? us if Alex Padilla goes somewhere and has success oh yeah well you know I, I've been wondering that about Deuce for a long time yeah you know, if he, if he gets out there and replaces Will Levis for a game or two but it's it's a disaster you know and then then you look on the other side of the ball um Losing Jack Campbell will be very difficult. Um, he's, and he's Riley kind of, Moss. And Riley Moss. They've had so many injuries. You know, do you think somebody like Terry Roberts would explore his sixth year? I kind of think he would. He's had so many injuries that it almost doesn't feel like he's had the full college experience because he's been yeah. off the field so much. And, you know, you get Jamari Harris back. That's going to be a big lift. You know, what do you do with Cooper DeGene? You know, Xavier Wampa is probably going to start. He should yeah. at this point. You know, maybe he replaces Kayvon Merriweather. And, and you feel like your secondary is in a pretty good spot then. Um, Justin Jacobs is going to return, it sounds like. Um, you know, does Seth Benson decide to go to the NFL or stick around for six years? I guess we'll find out over time. But Jay Higgins isn't a bad player. And, and I think the the, ta- the talent up front, they're going to lose some experience, but I think the talent up front is that sophomore level. Yeah. Um, Lucas Van Ness, YA Black, you have Logan Lee back for one more year, um, Deontay Craig, Max Llewellyn, Ethan Herkett, um, Aaron Graves. I, I think that they, you know, I think Jeremiah Pittman will probably join the rotation. Um so uh, other than Jack Campbell and maybe Riley Moss, I don't necessarily look at that unit and go, ee, you know, those two will be, you know, and particularly um, Campbell will be very, very difficult to replace. But then offensive line, you're not losing anybody. So you hope that they get better. Uh, running backs, I think they'll be good. I, I, I think they're good now. I think they could be very good next year. It's just about the passing game. It, everything, everything connected to the passing game, from the players to the scheme to the coaches, uh, that to me needs uh, you, you can't just rely on the same it's just not going to work play action isn't effective when you can't throw the ball yeah. <laughs> you know it kind of defeats the purpose mm-hmm. so or run it or run it <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're running an offense that is not effective yeah oh man this is going to be a fun off season you know rob i mean we heard a lot last year and it's going to be just the same, you know, especially if they double down on it or, you know, double dog down on everything. You know, we will uh, we're going to talk more basketball next week as the season gets a little bit closer a week from Monday, which will be October 31st. Halloween, Iowa opens Iowa men open uh, its um, or their uh preseason they have an exhibition game against jeff horner and truman state so we'll kind of preview the season a little bit more next week with men's basketball because there's not a lot going on right now uh women's basketball came out yesterday uh number four in the ap scott that's uh 
Lisa, I think, told you guys up in Minneapolis last week that they embrace the expectations. It's it's cool to say that, but it's you just don't know. I, I think this make the makeup of this team with five starters back uh is is uh well positioned to to uh handle those expectations, but it's different when you go out there with the target on your back every night. And I think Iowa State's what eighth. So yeah. mm-hmm. That women's basketball in the state this year, a lot of high expectations. It's great, isn't it? Um, I, you know what? I, I agree with Lisa on that. Um, everybody, you know, when you have Caitlin Clark on your team, then you have a target on your back. And the fact that they're fourth, sure, bring it on. You know, they've got Monica Zizano. They have Kate Barton. And, you know, Molly Davis, a, a girl that they are a woman that they brought in, to, you know, it's kind of a backup, but basically a starter is going to play starter minutes. Um, you know, they, they've got enough pieces in enough places to where they feel like, you know, they can do some damage and they know that they're going to get everybody's best shot. I mean, they already won the Big Ten last year. They won the Big Ten tournament. They also, um, you know, have uh you know, they're playing some quality opponents. Um, NC State at home in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Iowa State at home. Um, <laughs> one thing that's funny, my, my wife doesn't really get into sports. She loves watching Iowa women's basketball. We bought season tickets for the first time. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I can go because I might cover a couple of these games. But, um, you know, she's she's all in. So I think a lot of people are as well. So it's, it's kind of fun. Yep, should be should be a fun uh, women's basketball season, and it's not far off. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about kind of how the West Division sh- is shaping up in, in football next week, too. Uh, we'll push that to next week uh, because we've put off uh, the inevitable long enough in this podcast, and it's Scott and and my picks suck. All right. <laughs> so I think we're doing the service kind of reverse like if you go against what we're picking you may win so look at it that way approach it that way uh when you're opening your betting app on your phone saying which way did how and dr Min go on this all right they picked this i'm going the other way um i tell you what last week was about as bad as it gets for me <laughs> in, in every single way possible you know you went three and two i went one and four so i got crushed and you know, and, and, you know, like the Minnesota, I picked Minnesota minus six and a half and they, they look just were dreadful. And we both picked Wisconsin. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was bad. Them. I watched that game. I don't know what's going on with Wisconsin. You know, there, you want to talk about a program in turmoil. I mean, Iowa knows where it is. It's um, Wisconsin, you know, is losing receivers left and right to the transfer portal. Um, I've heard that there's some issues there internally, um, so just that bears watching as the, as the season kind of goes on here. I mean, they play Purdue at home this favorite week. to win the division. They're one in three. Yeah. Iowa was the second pick, correct? Or yeah, was yeah. it Minnesota? Was it Iowa? I- Iowa. Yeah. One and two and Minnesota right. was behind that. And it's one and two. So yeah. exactly. So, you know, I, if you were, you at least picked Michigan minus seven, I was stupid enough to think Penn state could hang. Um, and then Purdue, um, I, you know, it was funny when uh, they were up 13 and missed the extra point. I said, oh, that could really impact some people right now because it was a minus 14. And, yeah. of course, Nebraska scored, so it made that point moot. But <laughs> Entertaining game. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. 
but this week we saw five games, and uh, the first one is uh, Indiana at Rutgers. Rutgers minus three. I'm going to go with Rutgers. I, I think Rutgers is, if nothing else, is a mentally tough team. They're at home. I, I like the way Rutgers is playing. I'm not saying they're going to go to a bowl, but they might. And this is one of those games where I think they do. They they win. Yeah, these two teams are tough to figure out. Um, yeah. You talk about coaches in the Big Ten on the hot seat. I got to figure Tom Allen is probably a little warm. His is a little warm right now. And these are the type of games where he needs to win to kind of get some momentum in a very tough division. Um, but I don't see it. I think I think Rutgers is making incremental steps forward. Um, I think it's got a strong defense, and I will go with you. I will throw the three points and take the Scarlet Knights at home. Yeah. You can't do a red out this week, though. Yeah, I know. Or I Scarlet mean, out or whatever the hell it is. Scarlet and Crimson are really close. So, I yep. don't know. If, you know, that's uh, that doesn't work too well. Um, Northwestern at Maryland, Maryland minus 13 and a half or, and I've also seen it at 14, so we can take it either way. I'm going to go with Northwestern and Northwestern does some weird things during the course of the season. And some of those are accidentally winning or playing close games. (laughs) (laughs) Accidentally winning. That's a good term. I got to use that more. And that that usually happens in Iowa City, but <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, Tag of Viola is iffy. Um, I would say questionable is, is a good cause. Maryland also does some weird things during the course of the year, which is accidentally losing to teams like this from time to time. Um, I think Maryland clearly is the most talented team on the field. They've got two receivers that are better than you put, you know, five of the West Division teams together, and they can't. They don't equal that. But I don't know. Northwestern just has the feel of a team that can grind out some yards with Evan Hall and Peter Skaronsky blocking people. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not saying they're going to win, but I'm saying that they can keep it close. Yeah. Fitz will try to muck this thing up. And because uh, he knows he doesn't have the, the speed and the athleticism to keep up with Maryland. So um, it's a matter of, does Maryland look at Northwestern and say, yeah, we can pretty much just run out there and beat this team. Uh, and that's what Northwestern is hoping for. Um, I can't take Northwestern. I, I can't with, <laughs> with what I've seen from them this year. And, and I know they uh, have had some, they mucked it up at Penn state and maybe yeah. that's what happens here at Maryland. But uh, I'm uh I'm going to I'm going to hope that Maryland has its top quarterback and if mm-hmm. so I think scores enough to cover the 13 and a half. We're going with yeah. 13 and a half. 13 and a half. Yeah. Okay. I'll go two touchdowns. Okay. All right. Um this one is to me the most interesting game of the weekend in the Big 10 and that's Purdue at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is favored by two and a half. Now I think they've won 15 straight against the Boilermakers, but I I would say that this is probably the best matchup for Purdue. They've had some decent teams, but, you know, whereas Iowa struggled with Purdue, Wisconsin has not, but, you know, going to Camp Randall, I think this is a moment of truth game for uh, the Boilermakers. I'm going to go with the Boilermakers to pull out the win on the road. Yeah. So they, uh, Wisconsin's favorite, right? 
Yeah, two and a half is my favorite. I'll take the two and a half. Purdue's a better team. I mean, if yeah. you just if you watch the, these two teams this year, uh, Purdue's just a better team. That that now the better team doesn't always win, and that's a tough place to play. And this is a chance for Wisconsin to kind of right the ship a little bit, get right game, if you will. Uh, but I don't think Wisconsin's very good, so I can't in good conscience bet on it. Yeah, I am there with you. This one, this <laughs> this one is a game where I can see a lot of scenarios taking place, and that is uh, Minnesota at Penn State. Penn State giving up four. They're a four-point favorite. Um, I'll let you start on this one. I'm going to take the Nittany Lions. Okay. I, uh, w- whether or not Tanner Morgan plays, I think Penn State kind of gets back on track here. Michigan's just a really good team, and I think uh, pe- so I think people will be down on Penn State a little bit, and uh, I know the, 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 the dynamic of you know the offensive coordinator for Minnesota going back and all that stuff. Um, but I just think Penn State is the is the superior team here, and, and four points just isn't a lot to cover. So I'll take the Nittany Lions. Is it a whiteout this week too? It is. It's a night yeah, game, so. a whiteout. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll get a chance to watch that. So, um, yep, I'm gonna. I'm also going to take Pennsylvania State, um, and part of that is because I just can't figure out Minnesota. There are games like against Michigan State when Tanner Morgan was 23 at 26. And then there are games against Illinois where he's four at twelve, and it's just and whether I think Alvin Bell's absence is starting yeah. to show up a little more. Yeah, I agree. And now the one flip of that is I've seen you know like last week you saw Minnesota um, or I mean Michigan run for four hundred yards, that which is just an, un, an unreal number. Yeah. And, and Mel, Mo Ibrahim can do that, so that that's something that I think they're capable of of doing and and ruining some days there, but um, I'm still going to go with Penn state. I think Penn state probably wins in the white out. And, you know, James Franklin says, look, the East division is still much better than the West. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you beat one and two Minnesota. Yeah. Right. You know, so finally the one that we've talked about ad nauseum, the, the numbers, I've seen the numbers a little bit all over the place. What I'm throwing out there is 29 and a half for the Buckeyes. That's the last one I've seen. Yeah. Um, Rob, I'm going to take Iowa just on this. I'm not going to take them to, you know, to win or anything, but I just think that there, Iowa does a nice job of backdoor covering on some of these games. <laughs> and I think the defense is capable of maybe turning defense into offense and maybe, maybe making it a, you know, 41 17 game when, when in fact it doesn't feel that close. I'd like if they it would just nudged up to that 30. I'd like it even more, but I'm with you. I like the 29 and a half. That's a lot of points. You don't see Iowa lose games very often. Uh, you can look at, you know, the Michigan game in the uh, the Big Ten Championship last year. Yeah. Iowa doesn't lose games by 30 points very often. Uh, right. Just the, by the nature of what we've talked about throughout this podcast of the philosophy. Um, and I think in this case, it works to its advantage in terms of that big number. And I think I have faith in Iowa's defense. We talked about it a lot in this podcast. I think Iowa's defense shows up and and performs well in this game. And that's enough to keep it, keep it under the 29 and a half. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of dallied anywhere from 45 to 10 to 35, 16, you know, just stuff like that. I, I don't see Iowa winning or coming within more than a couple of touchdowns but I do think that you know there is a lot of pride they're a good tough defense 
some, you know, uh, you, you've seen what happened with Wisconsin, but Iowa's defense is better. Now, granted, its offense isn't, but I, I think it could be a tough one. And, and if they can at least show some progress, provide some hope, then I, I don't think the rest of the season is quite a loss. I think they've got a chance in the final five games, even at, on the road at Purdue. But but you, you just don't want to get boat raced. You don't want to get 59 to nothing out there or anything like that. So, um, because that, that's going to make a really tough final month for us, too. Yes. I think I picked 34-10 in my preview. Okay. So 24 points. Yeah. It's probably in that range, 21 yeah. to 24, somewhere in there. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the number is so high that, you know, the people who don't really know Iowa are automatically looking at their offense going, God. Well, that's the narrative, though, right? Yeah. And not that it's not deserved. You're right. That Iowa's offense is just pathetic right now. Um, and that's probably why the line is where it is. If you just look at the numbers, mm-hmm. that 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 spread of whatever Ohio State averages, what forty nine plus a game, and almost forty nine, yeah, four, four, 14 and change. Mm-hmm. That's your point spread, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, this is sad, isn't it? Well, Scott, have a safe trip to Columbus. I will be here on my couch watching this game, and uh, we will have the uh, Rapid Reaction podcast with Joe Von Johnson and Jordan Canzeri after the game here on the Hawk Fanatic feed, so please tune in for that. Um, when you, You're out tomorrow? Yeah, I'm flying out tomorrow mid-afternoon or early afternoon, and hope to get there mid-evening. We'll see. But uh, and then What's the pray. route? Uh, I go to Minneapolis and then over. So, and then on the way back, I got, I get stuck going to Charlotte and then back, which kind of sucks. That's, that's goofy. Yeah, I know. I wish it was more, you know, going to O'Hare or something like that, but what are you going to do? You know, the only thing I looked at, I'm like, man, it's completely reversed from what happened in uh, Rutgers for me time-wise to where you've got uh, extra time now yeah I'm not, i don't fly out to like <laughs> three on sunday and i'm like well i mean i guess i could do all my post day writing and stuff but still uh you know i would have rather had that Rutgers slept more than an hour well check out scott check out the athletic for scott's coverage of uh the iowa ohio state game We will be back a week from today to preview the homecoming Northwestern game, look back at this Ohio State game a little bit, uh, and talk some more men's basketball, women's basketball. As the season approaches, uh, we'll hit on some more recruiting and all that good stuff. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening. uh, And we will be back to talk to you a week from today. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.